so this morning, I just want to share this with you about a little boy uh, who actually was sick on Palm Sunday, and so he stayed home with his uh, mother from church that particular Sunday. And when his father returned home from church, he carried into the house a palm branch. And the little boy was curious and asked his dad, why do you have that palm branch? And he said, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches at church today. The little boy replied, oh man, the one Sunday that I miss is the one Sunday that Jesus shows up. Now church, there's a whole message in that in itself. I tell you that right now. But you know, today I just want to celebrate this fact uh, with you guys that man, Jesus is, is just an amazing, he is an amazing Lord and Savior. I tell you that right now. Don't let your church be that one Sunday you know, may out of the year that Jesus shows up at your church. Amen. Let Jesus be in your, in your life constantly. How about that? And uh, so <clears throat> this morning, as many of you know, today is obviously Palm Sunday, as we've mentioned, but this is the day as taken from the Gospels where a whole city basically threw a, a huge celebration and a huge parade uh, for Jesus. All right. And as Jesus rode into the city, the people threw palm branches in anticipation of his coming. Thus we get our word, Palm Sunday. Now the palm basically represented victory. In fact, back in the Roman period of time, back in this uh, particular uh, day and age, uh, those who would win medals and you know win uh, things at the Olympics, they would actually be awarded uh, a palm branch. And it meant a, a celebration or a victory uh, that that person had won. And so when Jesus marched into Jerusalem, they were waving these palm branches at him in victory, you know, for his triumphant entry. Uh, this day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was worshiped and he was praised. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. However, this day really is bittersweet for us because even as we read of this celebration of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, we also know that Friday is coming, you know, and which is a paradox within itself because we call uh, this coming up Friday Good Friday. But, you know, we'll talk a little bit about more, a <clears throat> little, little bit more about that in just a moment. But, you know, the day of Palm Sunday is a little bit bittersweet just because we know that Friday and Jesus's arrest is, is just around the corner. And we know that many in this particular same crowd uh, will within a few short days exchange their words of praise for words and shouts of death. Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, praise be to Jesus in the highest. And then later shouting, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. This morning, I want to focus our attention on two services which focused upon Jesus, but with two different results. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to two passages from the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, and then I want you to take and hold your finger in Matthew 27. But we're going to start in Matthew 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16. Uh, and when the day drew nigh unto Jerusalem, <clears throat> it's Matthew 21, 1. And when the day drew nigh, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, 
and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied. That means donkey, for those of you who don't know. That's what that is. And a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. <clears throat> Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a, a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I love that. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Now I want you to turn over to Matthew 27. <clears throat> Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed and went and hanged himself. <clears throat> and the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, 
whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? <clears throat> and he answered him, To never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for, every, for, for, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that, they, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. That was a hard thing to read right there, somebody. Good Lord. You know, many evangelists have been quoted time and time again as saying that the greatest mission field in our country today is in our local church, the people already sitting in our pews. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a 100% accurate statement, but one thing I do know is that many people know what to say, how to say it, and even how to act it. But when the rubber truly meets the road, there is no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No salvation, just empty words. And if any of you were uh, tuned in to our program on Thursday night, you know, we heard some testimonies of this very thing where, you know, we asked our guest host on, on Thursday night if uh, he had noticed uh, a, a turning, you know, towards the, the Lord or a turning towards, you know, looking at eternity from uh, people that he would encounter in his law enforcement duties, you know, based upon what was going on in the world. And he said he really had not. Um, and, and that's really, uh, but, but, all, but however, he, what he did say was that the reason that he, he was thinking that is because a lot of the people that he encountered already thought that they were Christians. But when the rubber truly met the road, 
there was it was really just a lot of vain and empty words, you know, where they were able to communicate and, and say, you know, Christian language and, you know, have all the Christian, the Christian, uh, you know, lingo going on. But at, at the end of the day, the same people, you know, were married yet had girlfriends or, you know, ran the roads all nights of the hour, you know, going bar hopping or whatever. And, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of fruit in, in the people's lives. However, on the other end of the, of the coin, they identified as Christians. And we see a perfect example of this in our two passages this morning, because on Sunday, Jesus rode into the city with the people shouting praises and praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. But on Friday, they're shouting, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. We want him. We want Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. So my question is, why the change? Why this sudden change of heart? And of course, there are many possible reasons, but one simple reason that I could come up with was the fact that their words did not match their heart. So on Palm Sunday, their words truly didn't match their heart. They possessed more of a casual faith rather than a committed faith. They had religion, but they missed the person Jesus. So how can one have what we call a committed faith? How can we be real and sincere in our faith in Christ? consistent in all that we do. And so this morning, I want to offer you just some keys to just such a faith. The first key that I would like to submit to you is that a committed faith is not self-centered. It is Christ-centered. And of course, that sounds somewhat cliche and somewhat obvious, but oftentimes we miss this simple truth. In America, we tend to say, God, here is my calendar. Uh, here is my agenda. I can plug you in here today and maybe on you know, Wednesday, I'll give you a 30-minute session on Wednesday. I'll pull, and basically we end up pulling God uh, in and out of our lives when it's most convenient for us. The people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two simple reasons. First, because of the miracles. They had seen him heal the sick and raise the dead. They praised him because he was serving them and their needs. And secondly, because they saw Jesus in a way that he would come to politically um, deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were looking to be set free from Rome as Israel was set free from Egypt. Their praise was tempered with the attitude of what Jesus can do for you and I. Remember in Luke 24 when Jesus met two of his disciples on the road after his resurrection, but those disciples didn't recognize him. He asked them why they were so upset, and they said in Luke 24, 21, but we trusted that it had been he which should have restored, had redeemed Israel. Of course, this was, there was nothing wrong, you know, with their looking for, uh, you know, that deliverance out of the hand of their oppressors. And, you know, it seemed to line up with Scripture. But the truth is, up to this point, they had no idea of the real reason for the coming of the Messiah. 
And so at the trial, they saw a beaten and a disfigured Jesus, a man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. And as words were said about him, they bought into all of the lies and quickly changed their position because for them it was about me, me, me. See, there's a legend in an ancient village in Spain where the villagers, the villagers learned that a king, a very special and important king, would come and pay them a visit. In a thousand years, a king had never come to that village, and so excitement began to grow. We must throw a great and grand celebration. The villagers all agreed. But it was a poor village, and there weren't many resources. So, so someone came up with an idea. Since many of the villagers made their own wines, the idea was for everyone in the village to bring a large cup of their choice of wine to the town square. Well, pour a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. When the king draws wine to drink, it will be the very best he's ever tasted. The day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people lined up to make their offering to the honored guest. They climbed a small stairway and poured their gift through a small opening at the top of the vat. Finally, the vat was full. The king arrived and was escorted to the square, given a, a silver cup, and was told to draw some of the wine, which represented the best that the villagers had. He placed the cup under the spigot and turned the handle and then drank the wine, but it was nothing more than water. You see, every villager reasoned within himself, I'll withhold my best wine and substitute with water. Because with so many cups of fine wine being poured into the vat from all of the villagers, the king will never know the difference. But the problem was that everyone thought the same thing, and the king was greatly dishonored. Today, Palm Sunday, let us choose to honor our great King, Jesus Christ, by giving him our very best, withholding nothing, giving him our all. The second key that I want to bring to your attention this morning is this, that a committed faith is relationship-driven. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches onto the street and who shouted praises did so because it was the popular thing to do at the time. At the one brief moment, it became somewhat of a trend. Perhaps some began doing it with sincere motives, but others soon did it because others were doing it. Later at the trial, shouting, crucify Jesus was the popular thing to do. In fact, for a brief moment, that was the trendy thing to do, to make a mass murderer and criminal their hero when they shouted, we want Barabbas. So in our own lives, a committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One where every day is fresh and new as he personally directs our steps. In order to have a committed faith, in order to have a committed faith, we must develop and maintain a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, church, uh, you know, one of the, the, the major things that 
sticks out to me and, and you know, was true in my own life over the, over the years was that for a long time I tried to ride into this relationship with Christ on the coattails of, of my parents or my grandparents. You know, and for a long time, you know, I, I never, I considered myself a Christian. I thought of myself as a Christian. I would tell people that I was a Christian. But at the end of the day, it was, it was, there, there was never any relationship with him. And I tell you, after all the years of identifying myself as a Christian, I can remember at 25 years old on the floor of Cobb County Jail, the moment that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and I truly became a Christian. I truly became, began to develop a relationship with him more than just some religious affiliation. And I can remember it just like it was yesterday. It was, the, it was the, one of the best days, if not the best day of my entire life. When I said, Lord, I'm not asking you to get me out of the trouble that I've gotten myself into. And, because I, and if I got to go to prison, I'll do that because I deserve that and really much, much more. But Lord, I'm asking you to change my heart. And I'm telling you right then and there, the Lord did a work in my life and in my heart like you couldn't believe. And he changed my life and me on a different path. And I've never looked back since. And, uh, that, and that's, that's an, an amazing thing. And, and I really hope and pray that you experience that for yourself. And so a third key that I want to submit to you this morning is that, um, that committed faith is not swayed or blocked by our personal trials and crises. That's a strong word for what we're going through right now. All right. And I'm going to give you two sides of this coin. See, at the parade, the parade in Jesus' day, it was trendy to offer praise. Everyone was doing it, but at the trial, it was uh, to speak out for Jesus, to praise Jesus at the trial was a risky move, you know, because all of a sudden, uh, the religious leaders began to uh, really go hard against Jesus and, you know, talk about his, you know, being a blasphemer and all this type of stuff. And so where everybody at the parade was lifting up their voices and shouting praise and Hosanna in the highest, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, it was easy for them to get on board with that, you know, particular, uh, you know, shout of adoration for Christ. But at the trial, it was much more difficult because whatever, but because then all of a sudden uh, the, the shouts and, and, and the, what was being said made a dramatic shift. Uh, and, and so shouting praise and, and adoration for Jesus suddenly became risky, possibly even life-threatening. So let me put it uh, in, in terms of right now. When there's a virus, a so-called virus or whatever, it's easy to praise Jesus together. Amen? It's easy for us to come to, and praise Jesus during our times of, you know, crises and all this kind of stuff. But what is, uh, but then when there is no virus, uh, are you following me? When, when life is, is going all well, when the economy is booming and everything is going, you know, perfect, like it seemed to be just before all this happened, uh, then it becomes much more risky to praise Jesus. 
Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go good. Maybe some slight bad, but not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out for us, we often ask God, why? Thinking it's not supposed to happen this way. If our faith is based on our situations or our circumstances, it will never be committed. It will always be casual. In my life, I've seen many big Christian events, many packed large stadiums where the praises of God rock the entire arena and where everyone is praising the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, it's easy to praise while everyone is still glowing from the night of worship. But when tomorrow comes, you face the hard task. Can you still praise Jesus with that same zeal and tenacity? In, 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 in the light of a world that honestly is the antithesis of that, the mocking world of Jesus Christ, who's laughing and often angry. You see, a committed faith takes the good with the bad, knowing that all we are ever promised is that in the midst of both good and bad, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He will stand with us and that's a powerful word right there body beloved church brethren sisters jesus will never leave us nor forsake us so even when you know things around us aren't going the way that we want them to you know say that you have just experienced the you know worst thing your life has ever encountered that's just part of this life. You know, that's the fallen nature of this world that we live in. But Jesus has made a promise to never leave us nor forsake us. He will stand with us. So there's a story that's told of a little girl who, while walking in a garden, noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She admired its beauty and enjoyed its fragrance and said, it's so pretty. I just love this flower. And as she gazed on it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil in which it grew. This flower is just too pretty to be planted in that dirty old ground, she cried. So she pulled it up by its roots and ran to the water faucet to wash away the dirt and the soil. It wasn't long until just a little while later, the flower began to wilt and eventually died. When the gardener saw what the little girl had done, he exclaimed, you have destroyed my finest plant. Why have you done this? The little girl said, I'm sorry, but I didn't like it growing in that dirty old ground. The gardener replied, I chose that spot and mixed the soil especially because I knew that only there could it grow to be a beautiful flower. You know, church, God has placed you and I exactly where we are. We must trust him, and in trusting him, we eventually see that he is using the pressures and the trials and the difficulties of this life to bring us to a new degree of spiritual maturity and spiritual beauty. True contentment comes when we accept what God is doing and then begin to thank him for it. You know, last Tuesday, I talked uh, just briefly on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think it's 14 through 16 where he says, Rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. 
In everything, give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And the, the main point that I brought out on, uh, on those particular scriptures was that the word of God had to tell us to rejoice evermore and to pray without ceasing and, uh, and, and to in everything give thanks because it's the will of God. Because in this life, there will be many times that you and I won't feel like rejoicing. We don't want to rejoice in the trials and the hard times that this life has to throw at us. We don't want to do that. That doesn't make any sense to us. You know, we don't, you know, oftentimes our flesh doesn't want to pray. We have to, you know, force ourselves. And, and I, let me say for me, you know, there's many times where I have to, you know, be reminded and to force myself to, you know, to find the good in what's going on around me and to, and to pray and thank God for those good things. Amen. And then, you know, finally, you know, uh, in everything, give thanks. You know, we have to be told. You know, in other words, like these three things, he has to tell us uh, to do these things, to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks in all things. And he said, and he even follows it up with this statement that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So it's actually God's will for us to do these things. And I don't know about you, but I have to be told from time to time by an authority that's far greater than my flesh because these things are contrary to the lusts and desires of my flesh. I, my flesh don't want to rejoice when things, you know, when I'm you know, here in the house and I can't, you know, yesterday I wanted to go buy some uh, uh, patio furniture. But we didn't do that because there's all these crazy regulations, you know, being placed upon our communities right now and, you know, for whatever. And, you know, so I couldn't go do that. And I didn't want to rejoice in that. But you know what? I found we found other things to do as a family. And, you know, we began to grow together and closer as a family and just hang around the house and do some yard work and, you know, clean up a little bit here and there. And, and we had a great time you know, fellowshipping with one another when we found that thing to be thankful for, although we wanted to go and buy some nice patio furniture and sit out in the sun and enjoy, you know, the beautiful, refreshing air. But you see, true contentment comes when we accept what God is doing and we thank him for it. So my question to you is, your faith casual or is it committed? Is your faith based upon or predicated upon how your life is doing and, and how, your, how, how the circumstances of your life are unfolding around you? So if everything is good, you know, you have that committed faith. But when uh, the trials and, and the difficulties of life come and you're locked down in your house and, you know, you got no toilet paper and, you, you know, you ran out of, you know, disinfectant and hand sanitizer and whatever and somebody sneezed out. You know, in your direction when you're at the grocery store, is your faith committed or is it casual? Have you learned how to thank God and accept God for every, you know, moment of where he has you in your life at any given time? And as we approach this week where, you know, next week we're going to be, you know, celebrating the resurrection, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And man, you know, we, we saw just in our video earlier and, you know, even the stories that we just read and the accounts that we just read of, of you know, what happened with Jesus at the trial, man, these, it was hard for me to read that to you. I mean, it was a difficult thing for me to read, and then next week even more so. 
because we're going to you know, move into this week where we really begin to remember what Jesus did as he suffered incredibly, not just for some random no reason, but for you and I so that he could pay the penalty for our sin and bring restoration for us back into the presence of God. You know, we're going to go be moving into this week where our sins, the past, the present, and future ones, you know, where the nails that hung Jesus on that cross, and, 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 G, and we don't deserve it. We, de we don't deserve any of that, but Jesus did it for us anyway. And he even said in, in his word that it was his pleasure that he did it. So my, my next question is, does Jesus deserve total control in your life? Doesn't he deserve to have a personal relationship with you? So these are, these are the things that I want you to consider as, you know, you move throughout this next week and, you know, you're, you're locked down in, in your house and you got a whole lot of things to, you know, to think about and, and whatnot. And, and Paul said, I think it's a second Corinthians chapter 13 or first Corinthians 13, I'm pretty sure second. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. You know, don't be like, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the little boy's church where he said, man, the one Sunday I'm out, Jesus shows up. You follow what I'm saying? Take Jesus, you know, develop that relationship, that personal relationship with Jesus in your life every day, wherever it is that you go. You know, don't pull him out, you know, the pocket Jesus, convenient Jesus. I'm not kidding when I say this. I have seen people on Facebook that I know that have what they call a pocket Jesus. And I'm like, I would never, even if that was me, I would, I would be sad to admit that. But yet they're parading this around like it's some, you know, wonderful thing. And we are all guilty of it, but that's nothing to be proud of. And so for me, over these, this past, you know, couple of months, you know, God has really been after me, you know, talking about revival in my soul and revival in my spirit. And I begin to ask God for it. And he's been faithful to bring that to me, to bring an awakening within my, my heart and a desire within my heart to seek after him, to find that place of committed faith that no matter what's going on around me, no matter what my circumstances may look like, my faith and my relationship with him is secure and it's solid. And so again, I ask you, does God, does Jesus deserve total control in your life? Do you want to have that personal relationship with him? So I challenge you to consider these things and examine yourself to see where you stand in the midst of this thing. Because eventually these restrictions that are happening around you, they're gonna lift. And it's easy to praise God you know, in your, when you're seeking to receive, but it's, it's different when the rubber meets the road. And so I challenge you to examine that over this next week and to get, begin getting your heart and your mind focused on what this next Sunday celebration is all about as we uh, prepare to remember and celebrate the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you now, Lord, and I'm so thankful for the many wonderful works that you are doing 
in your body, in your church right now. And Father, I pray that as we move past what is happening around us now, Lord, that we don't forget what you are seeking to accomplish in our lives in these moments. Father, I'm asking that you would draw us into you, Father. That you would lead us, you would guide us, God, that you would bring that awakening within us, God. That you would touch your church, Lord, that you would resurrect your church, Father, from that place of fleeing away from their first love, which is you, Father. And that's been the case in so many different ways. So, Father, I'm asking you right now to do a work within us, Lord. Do a work within me. Do a work within our church. Do a work within, you know, every person under the sound of my voice, Lord. Just begin to call out to them, Lord, to draw them into yourself. And I thank you for it. And I praise you for it. Father, I ask that as we move throughout this next week, that you would begin to prepare our hearts and our minds right now to remember that those faithful moments. So just like uh, in the book of Philippians, you say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made him, but humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant. Lord, let us find that, that mind of Christ to become that humble servant for your glory. And he goes on to say that he became obedient even obedient death, even the death of the cross. What a powerful, powerful thing that and still is. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in my life and in the lives of all those around us, Lord, that are humbling themselves and falling on their face, Lord, and crying out to you. And I pray that that relationship would begin to take roots so deep that no matter what the circumstances or trials of this life seems to throw at them, their roots will be grounded in who you are, Father. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys be blessed. We'll see you on Tuesday and then Wednesday. Amen.